Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. What would it be like to live in fear of your life because of your Christian faith? You and I spend so little, if any, time worrying about that. And the result is that we might think that kind of thing will never happen. Or maybe it only happened back in the first century. A hard era to be sure, but one in which has, has come and gone. Something that believers today will, will never have to face. Except for this. There's a little 16-page uh, magazine called The Voice of the Martyrs. And in the most recent edition, I was reading how the Christians in Indonesia are suffering greatly to this very day. And in fact, in the two years leading up to 9-11, when, when America was attacked, the two years before that in Indonesia, radical Muslims killed 10,000 Christians. Not to count those who were also raped and murdered, uh, raped and, and kidnapped. In those same two years, over 100,000 Christians were displaced. They left their country for fear of their life. And more recently, in this past year, it has been through suicide bombers attacking Christian churches on Sunday morning that this kind of persecution has continued. A persecution that is very, very real. Very, very painful, discouraging, troubling, confusing with enormous personal losses. Well, the first century church in Thessalonica suffered much of the same. And it sent them into a tailspin. One which the Apostle Paul addressed in, in his two letters to that church. I want to set the stage for these verses we're looking at in 2 Thessalonians today so that so that they don't seem so distant, so foreign, so out of touch for us today. Thessalonica was a, uh, a seaport on the Aegean Sea. It was a major city, a city of a population of about 200,000. And being at crossroads of two major trade routes, it was a, a target-rich environment for the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul recognized that, and so he stopped there briefly on his second missionary journey. His stay was short, only a, couple, only a few weeks, but it was long enough to establish a, a young, fledgling, fledgling Christian congregation. But then the jealous Jews rounded up some local thugs, and they formed a mob that went looking for Paul and Silas. Fortunately for the missionaries, nightfall came quickly and members of the church were able to sneak them out of town to save their lives. Later, the Apostle Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to, to see what was happening. And he returned with two messages. First of all, the persecution had continued. And it was wearing down the Christians there, both emotionally and spiritually. 
Each and every day for them was hard. More than we can imagine. And secondly, they also had a number of, a number of questions. Questions specifically about Jesus' second coming. Because they had been told some things that, that left them baffled and hopeless. These were the matters that Paul addresses in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And in fact, the, the eight chapters in these two short books say more about the end times than any of the writings of the Apostle Paul. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at what we heard read earlier. And as we get into this chapter, it's, it's not hard to understand how mixed up and discouraged the believers were. Because someone had told them a bunch of lies. Lies that apparently were expressed by someone very convincing. Lies about what? It's told right there in verse 2. They had been told that the, the return of Jesus had already come. And they had been left behind. It wasn't anything like what Paul had told them the time that he was among them. And so they, they thought to themselves, well, if Paul was wrong about that, what else did he mislead us on? Think about it in these terms. Suppose you're a child and your parent tells you something about God, something important. But then later, another person, another adult in the neighborhood tells you a very different story. They tell you that your parents were all wrong, that God is not as it had been explained to you. Well, Paul was these people's spiritual parent. You can understand then why they were so discouraged. They felt like they had been Misled, like they had been duped, like they had been made to be a fool. Let's make this even more personal. I'm betting that you have wondered about the second coming of Jesus too. You may have or may be doubting if He will ever come again. After all, Jesus said to us, I'm coming soon. Those were His very final words to us, but that was 2,000 years ago, and if He was going to come, wouldn't He have done so by now? All of us have probably entertained those kinds of thoughts, just like the people in the first century did. Let me share with you what Peter wrote in response to questions just like this. From 2 Peter chapter 3, he said, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, notice that, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming He promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since before creation. And then skipping over to verses 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. 
He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So I ask you, are these the last days? I believe in my heart they certainly are. And the signs are everywhere. I mean, check out Matthew 24 or, or 2 Timothy 3 and, and see for yourself. These are the last days. Jesus Christ is coming again. And He said He's coming soon. But soon is based on God's timeline, not on ours. God's heart continues to go out for the sinners of this world. The reason Jesus hasn't returned yet is so they can still be saved. That much is clear. What's fuzzy though is what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians verses 3 and 4. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, the day of Christ's return, it will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. There's two things going on here and, and they're related. First of all, Paul says that Jesus won't come back. We won't see Him until the rebellion occurs. What, what's that? Well, it's, it's wide-scale falling away from the faith in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's more and more and more people being lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. The rebellion is turning a deaf ear to what God says is right or wrong. The rebellion is thinking and acting as if we know best, we can do whatever we want, and there be no consequences. That's the rebellion. And is it what we're seeing all around us? I believe it is. And secondly, who is this man of lawlessness? And what's he all about? Well, we're told that he will be the leader of all things that are evil and, and ungodly in the last days. The man of lawlessness is not Satan, but he works together with Satan. He may be the Antichrist, or at least one of them. Um, and what we know for sure is this. He will declare Himself to be God. He will operate from within the church. And He's being held back for a time by something. We don't know what. We don't know who. But when that time of being held back is over, when He is turned loose, Jesus Christ will soundly, decisively, convincingly destroy Him once and for all. At this point you may be thinking, well, Paul's letters to the Thessalonians were all doom and gloom. 
That's not the case. Not by any means. The believers in the first century and you and I today have every reason to be looking forward. We can be living with joy knowing that we soon will see Jesus Christ face to face. Folks, it could be today. It could be. In fact, from Scripture we see the, the dark clouds falling apart and, and the sun shining through in verse 13. Yes, there was much going wrong and, and yes, there were horrible things they were facing, but Paul gave them and us greater reasons to be encouraged. Greater reasons to be thankful. Look at verse 13. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Folks, when your life just stinks, when, when you've tried really hard, when you've done your best and it's still not enough, when you feel like giving up, can anyone relate to what I'm saying here? When those things and even worse things are true for you, this is what your Lord and Father wants you to hear. And not just hear, but also take to heart. You are loved by the Lord. Because from the beginning, He chose you to be His own. Dear friends, God formed you. He personally selected you to be His precious child, just like He did Wyatt this morning. You have been adopted and brought into His forever family. You are His dear, precious child. Regardless of the sins you've committed, the commandments that you've broken, still by God's grace, you are loved. And you are kept by His unfailing love. The faith in Jesus that you have is because God's Spirit has been at work in you. And there's also a second promise that gives you strength whenever you're discouraged. Verse 14. He, the Lord, called you to this through our Gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever remind yourself of that? That when your life ends or when this world ends, whichever comes first, you child of God, you forgiven, redeemed, holy one, you will share in the glory of Jesus. You won't just simply stand before His throne. You won't simply bask in His majesty. You will be glorified as well. 
Listen to these passages. Matthew 13, 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. That's you He's talking about. Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. It's promises like those that take the sting out of whatever it is we're called to suffer. Yes, life on earth can be brutal. Yes, it can be unforgiving and full of hatred, especially in these last days. But remember this, Whenever this life that is so fleeting and temporary ends, we have an eternity to look forward to. Even if we live to be a hundred, that's a mere drop in the bucket compared to, to living in heaven's glory forever. So people of God, take heart in these promises. Be comforted by them. Be encouraged by them. <clears throat> Mine out the promises that are found in God's Word. I mean, go looking for them every day as if, as if they were gold. Because they're better than gold. And because they are, they will keep you standing firm to the end. Verse 15 so then, brothers, stand firm. Hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. When you hold firm to these promises, you will keep standing firm. You're able to live with your head held high regardless of what you are suffering it was James who wrote, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. What Paul is saying to us here is that God's promises give us strength. So read those promises every morning. That way you'll be ready for the challenges of the day before you. And even better, develop the habit of memorizing God's promises. That way, wherever you go, you've got them with you. In fact, I want to close this morning by giving you uh, three different choices, three different promises that I encourage you to, to memorize. You can write them down and put them on your refrigerator or bathroom mirror. You can write them on a three-by-five card and carry them with you. All three of these will strengthen your faith in Christ and they will comfort you when you're feeling discouraged. Here they come. Say them out loud with me. You might just want to write down the reference and you can go back and, and, and write out the full verse later. Philippians 4.13 I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. 1 John 5.3 
This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. This is more familiar probably. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Amen. And amen. And may the peace of God that surpasses human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.